Hashem Naseh V'Natzliach, Shir Torah. Baruch Hashem, glad to see everyone. Baruch Hashem, we had a uh, very special shiur last night. Shtabach uh, Shemolad, very uh, good feedback already. Uh, only It's only been a few hours uh, since we posted it uh, on our channel, on our website. But many people saw it live. Uh, it seems like, Baruch Hashem, the interest for the truth is literally um, extraordinary because uh, Hashem says that at the end of times, before the Mashiach comes, there's going to be a hunger. But what kind of hunger? Not hunger for food, not hunger for steaks, not hunger for uh, sushi. Hunger for truth. And we're seeing it because uh, just uh, literally, literally less than 24 hours later, there's already been a double the amount of people watch the shiur live, both in the uh, online, as well as actually attended, Baruch Hashem, uh, as well as actually, uh, just since we posted it online again on our website, uh, Bezot Hashem.org, uh, stellar numbers, stellar numbers in a very short period of time, and uh, surprisingly, very good feedback. Uh, a lot of people, I mean, I have... Uh, no less than a half, maybe more than maybe a dozen messages so far uh, from people telling me thank you for finally making a shiur about genom. And I thought that it's going to be the opposite. It's going to be one good message and a dozen uh, bad ones. You know, why'd you do it? Da, da, da. We still don't know. It's still early. So maybe the bad ones are still writing a longer email. Who knows? It seems like people have been looking for, uh, for information because when you look for the truth, like Hashem says in Sefer uh, Dvarim, in Deuteronomy, chapter 4, uh, if you look for me, you'll find me. If you look for me with all of your heart and all of your soul. Now, when you look for the truth, mamash, look for it. Proactively look for the truth. What's real? What's false? Where, you know, what's, what's, what, is this, what is God's opinion? Tachlis, bottom line, what's God's opinion? When you look for it, you start noticing strange things. What do you notice? You notice that a lot of what people say doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't make any sense at all. And this was my personal experience that I thought was maybe unique to me. Maybe there was a few people here and there. But apparently that unique experience that I thought I had is not unique at all. As a matter of fact, many of the people that so far have given positive sh- feedback about the shiur about Jerinom, as difficult as it is to hear, have told me the same message over and over again and said that everything that I read about it so far or everything that I heard from, you know, the little bit of information that's available about it in the English language didn't make sense. There's one rabbi that, uh, Orthodox rabbi, uh, that made a four-minute video about it some time ago. There was a uh, that uh, he said he says made it seem like it was a uh, not such a bad place. Another one was interviewed by one of these organizations, where the interviewer asked him, "Does Genom exist? Is it part of Judaism? Is it part of the Torah?" And towards the end of the interview, after about, I think it's like a 12-minute interview, at about 10 minutes, the interviewer says, you know, this Genom place doesn't sound so bad. It almost sounds like a good thing. That's what he said, Mamash. 
almost sounds like a good thing. And what does the guy say? Yes. Why is he saying yes? Because neither one of them know the truth. Neither one of them knows. The guy that's saying it sounds good, all he knows is what this guy told him the last 10 minutes. The guy that's talking for the 10 minutes, all he knows is what he just created for those 10 minutes. He never read a single book about it. Why? Because any book that you read about it doesn't say anything good. Yes, it is in essence the uh, highest level of darkness before the light if you enter the light. Meaning, if you have the merit to go to Gan Eden, but you've made some sins and you have to go to Gehenom and so on. So yes, this is in essence the something you have to go through before you get there. But that doesn't make it good. I still prefer to skip this step to use a euphemism and minimize it and make it seem as if it's, ah, it's, it's actually a good thing. It's like saying, you know, cancer, AIDS, and all types of other strange diseases are so good. They're good for you. Reminds you to love the people around you. Well, maybe I should be reminded that I love them without the diseases. So people saw the same thing that I saw years ago and they said it didn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that in the Christian world of Avodah Zarah, of idol worship, they picture something horrendous, fire, suffering, Shemachem. And in Judaism, these so-called rabbis in the Western world are picturing like a little miniature, I don't know, washing machine slash Care Bears slash, I don't know, a fluffy bath or something. I don't know. Like no one that makes it doesn't make any sense. Why? Because the Christians got their information from the Jews. They don't have any of their own information. So where did it come from? It got to such a horrible, awful place that some Jews actually think that the whole concept of Genom is actually Christian teaching. And many over the years have told me, oh, you're like a Christian. You teach all this stuff about punishment. But man, you just look at the comments in last week's shiur. Last night's shiur. There's always a hero. Last night's shiur, one of the, a Jew called me a Christian. I'm one of the people that fights against Christianity on a daily basis. This guy calls me a Christian. Why? He never heard the concept of punishment or genom. It's not his fault, Bermet, actually. It's his fault for voicing it in public and then trying to embarrass me and so on. But that's, Baruch Hashem, it gives me schuyot and shamayim. Thank you. But nonetheless, it's not his fault. Because that's all he heard his whole life, miskin. His whole life he thought that Gehenom is part of idolatry. It's not part of Judaism because God loves. So, Many people said, you know what? It never made sense. Now that I saw the shiur, some saw the whole thing, some saw the first half, and so on. They said, it's tough. No questions about it. If you have a soul and a pulse, it's tough to hear. If it's not tough for you to hear, you should check your pulse. But nonetheless, at least I know. At least I know. 
I know what's there. Okay, I don't like it. It's not such a happy news. It's not the best thing I've ever heard in my life. I'd rather hear that I won the lotto. I'd rather hear that I'm about to get married. I'd rather hear that I just had a baby. I'd rather hear anything. I'd rather hear I just got coffee. Any, I'd rather hear nothing than such bad news. But nonetheless, in reality, I needed to hear it. Why? This is going to keep me away from sinning. It's going to keep me away from sinning. That's what they said. So this is a mix of messages, obviously. But the point I'm trying to tell you, Rabotai, is that Am Yisrael and also all of the righteous people among the nations are mamash seeking the truth just like Hashem promised. They're going to be thirsty for the truth. And hopefully, hopefully, Bezad Hashem, Bezad Hashem, the feedback will encourage other rabbis that are Anshayimit, that are real rabbis, men of truth, will encourage them and give them the... the, the Koach, the, the strength to do shurim of their own about the truth. And stop being so scared. Stop being so scared because we really literally have gone to a point where in a generation where people think that Yilat Shamayim is a curse word. People think that punishment is not part of Judaism. People have turned Hashem Yilachem, people have turned God into Santa Claus. He only gives good. So, Hashem has an enormous amount of mercy. Baruch Hashem, may His name be blessed forever. And He has mercy on us. And even before we know we have a question, He gives us the answer. And that, Rabotai, is the Mishnah of tonight. Last night, we finished a very critical shiur, but we also finished the fourth chapter of Pirkei we are now beginning the fifth chapter. We're in chapter 5, Mishnah Aleph, the first one. And this Mishnah, in essence, like all of the others, always connected to the one before them. But to me, when I was studying it today, the way I, I saw it is like really it was answering these people. Both the fans nonetheless, that appreciated the message and whoever did not, whether we heard from them or not. One special soul called me. Today, I usually don't pick up my phone because the phone rings a lot and if I pick up a phone every time it rings, I would never have time to study, never have time to run, Bezat Hashem. I'd never have time to pretty much breathe, eat, go to the bathroom, nothing. So usually it's better to just message me and in between things, in between breaks or whatever, I try to respond to messages. But uh, we just finished a shiur, my chavuta and I, or Ephraim and I, we finished a shiur between us and we're just talking about certain things that weren't a shiur. And I saw the phone ring and it was a number from Israel. Well, that already piques my interest. Who from Israel? Who do I know from Israel? Who's going to call? Why is it an unid- you know, a number that I don't know? If I, anyone that I know in Israel, I know their number. It's in my phone. So I thought, oh, you know what? One of my students, Baruch Hashem, just did Aliyah. Maybe she's calling. There's a question. Oh, maybe it's this one. Maybe it's, I have a few arguments in my head. Or if I said, just pick up. No, pick up. Okay, pick up. I pick up and this wonderful person is practically crying telling me, why did you do it? Why did you do it? Why did you do it? And, and I said, what did I do? 
He said, you know, it's not supposed to do it this way. And I, what? What did I do? And she tells me, you're scaring people to death. Now you have a shiur about gainom, you scare, scare people to death. I said, did you watch it? She goes, no. So that's how you scared to death. <laughs> how you scared to death? She goes, just the topic. No one's done it before. At least not uh, with a scary picture like that. Schut to the one that put the picture together, my wife, God bless her. Scary poster. I think the poster is scarier than the shiur. But nonetheless, she said, yeah, but it's a shiur and it's scary and it's this and it's that. And anyway, we started talking and uh, I saw that she's very disturbed. Not necessarily by the shiur, but by Judaism. And the reason why is because she had a bad experience with Jews. She had a bad experience with Jews, whether it be rabbis or individuals, religious, non-religious, nonetheless, we arrived at the conclusion that due to all of these bad experiences, she became less religious. How much less religious? According to what I understood, not religious, period. So I saw that this is a conversation that I have to have, you know, and it's not one of those two-minute phone calls of, oh, Hashem, you know, when you're in the business of Kiruv, that's the call. Everything has to be put on hold and you have to handle the call. And we talked, we talked for a little while and I got to a point where we realized that, listen, one thing I've told you guys over the years is that Judaism does not depend on the Jews. Again, Judaism does not depend on the Jews. How do we know? In several weeks, we're going to learn about Ma'amad al-Sinai, Parashat Yitro. We get the Ten Commandments. Hashem Barach created the Torah 974 generations before He created the world, according to the Gemara Masechet Chagigah and decided that there's going to be an event of Mount Sinai already at that time. And at that time, he's going to give it to Am Yisrael. Now if, hypothetically speaking, hypothetically speaking, Am Yisrael decided, you know what? It's not for us, this uh, Torah. It's not for us. And a bunch of Arabs came. They said, oh, we'll take it. Two of them. We'll take it. Put some hummus on it. We'll take it. We'll take it. Who would be the Jews today? The Arabs. The Hebrews, the Israelites, would remain Israelites or Hebrews, or more likely not remain at all. But nonetheless, we see something extraordinary we see that what makes you a Jew is not your friends being Jewish. It's not even your mother being Jewish. It's the Torah. Because without it, your Judaism is on suspension. And this is why, Rabotai, your Judaism is not necessarily dependent on Jews. You have to be a Jew based on the Torah. Regardless of whether all the Jews around you are good, bad, or indifferent. And this was something that perhaps maybe she never heard before. 
Now, how do you know if you're a Jew? How do you know if you're following this Torah? A lot of people say they're following the Torah. While they're violating it, they say they're following it. Like this one Menuval that wrote an article about how homosexuality is a good thing and he welcomes these people to his keilah, but not just welcomes them, honors them. And Hashem must have made a mistake, Hashem Rachem, when he wrote that it's not allowed. Well, you read this article, I read it maybe about two years ago. I want to vomit. Another Menuval wrote, you can eat at any restaurant as long as it's not meat. Just eat. It's fine. This is recent calls himself an Orthodox rabbi. The first one was conservative. Others say all types of things. Everyone says things in the names of in the name of Torah. What do you think? They go home and say, I'm not religious? What do you think? They wake up in the morning and say, I'm not religious? The one Menuval that is Keila, is Keila came to him and said, your own Reuven's coming to New York for a couple of days. We'd like to host them in our Bet Knesset. Mefuar, big Bet Knesset, nice as people. There's a lot of fans here. No less than 100 people watch the Shurim on a regular basis. We'd like to have him come. You would think the rabbi is like, someone who wants to come. Mike Kila wants him to come. He actually happens to be the one that actually helps people do tshuva. Mike Kila needs to do tshuva. How much? Free. How much is free? Free. And how much more is free? Free. What does the Rabbi Menuval say? Rabbi Menuval says, don't bring him here. Why don't bring him here? Oh, he's against wigs. He's against wigs. Like I created the law against wigs. Like I wrote it in the Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Karo, and said, no, no, in footnote, this is from Yaron Ruven from 500 years from now, he's going to say, he has nevoah. The only event is going to say, don't wait, wait. Ravavadia, before I even knew who Ravavadia is, he already knew. Oh, your only event is going to say, <laughs> he's against wigs. He's against Avodazara. Like when they wrote, Gemara Masechet Avodazara, he said, no, 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 hold on a second, Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, one second. Footnote, your own event, 4,000 years from now, is going to say, The stupidity of man will lead him to sin and then he gets mad at Hashem for being punished. Some people are stupid silently though. So you don't really know they're stupid. Sometimes they even look smart because they're so silent. It's good. Some people voice their opinion and you wish they wouldn't. This one, instead of having his keilah get a little stronger, he says no. So, he also thinks he's religious. And I can give you stories like this for hours and hours and hours, but you get the point by now all the time. All of them do it in the name of the Torah. All of them. Not a single one of them thinks of themselves as not religious. How do we know then? How do we know? We know that Hashem Barach decided to give the Torah on Mount Sinai. But there were greater mountains in the world. Bigger, stronger, massive, 
taller, wider, prettier. Each one of them had a malach, had an angel, over-supervising them, speaking for them. Says Hashem, you must be giving the Torah on me. The other one said, no, 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 <laughs> you must be giving it on me, come on, I'm bigger than him, I'm smarter than him, I'm this and that. They were fighting for where you're going to give it to Torah. Hashem says, I'm not going to give it to on any of you. I'm going to give it on Mount Sinai. What do you mean? But he's not even fighting for it, exactly. He's anav. He's humble. He lowered himself. He made himself a vessel. A vessel to receive, my opinion. Not to state my opinion because really it's his opinion and he just said it, it's mine. How do you know what religious is? How do you know what the truth is? Let's find out what God's opinion is. How do we know God's opinion? He wrote it. He wrote it in the Torah. Now, in this week's parasha, as it's our way, Baruch Hashem, we always have something interesting in the parasha, but this is something small but sweet. In parashat Shmot, you have a small little secret right in the beginning of the parasha. The first verse in Sefer Shmot says, And these are the names of the children of Israel who were coming to Egypt with Yaakov, each man and his household came. Now here, it's the first verse, very interesting, but nonetheless we see that every single letter in the Torah has a significance. Now, if you look for the first taf, the first taf, which is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, in this parasha, it's in this verse. It's the seventh letter. The seventh letter of this parasha is a taf. If you count 50 more letters, 50 more letters, you get ve'yehuda, which is the, the vav in ve'yehuda, which is the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. If you count another 50 letters, you get to yerech. You get to the Resh of Yerech. If you count another 50 letters, you get to the He of Ahu. Spelling the word Torah. Now this could be a simple coincidence. This could be just something nice and interesting, but you could say maybe I could find the same thing in Harry Potter. What's the significance of this? First and foremost, we see that this specific book is the book we received the Torah from Mount Sinai. So this word Torah carries more weight than it does if it appeared, let's say, in Sefer Devarim. Second, when did we receive the Torah? We received the Torah on Shavuot. When is Shavuot? 50 days exactly after we left Mitzrayim. Meaning the skip of 50 letters between each one has significance. Now this Torah is the love letter that Hashem wrote to us that has instructions for all of us to follow in order for us to know His opinion. The good news about Hashem's opinion is that it does not change. Ours changes. Today we like blue, tomorrow we may like pink. Today we like tall, tomorrow we may like short. Today we may like steak, tomorrow it's cereal. Our opinions change. Today this is my favorite food, tomorrow I don't even want to eat. And so on and forth so on and so forth. Why? Our opinions 
a variable based on our mood, based on our lifestyle, based on our day, based on different things. We are something that's dynamic. We're constantly moving. Hashem Barach is the same. He doesn't change. He doesn't adapt. He doesn't grow. He doesn't shrink. He doesn't change. His opinion is the same. It's always been the same. It'll always be the same. So this Torah that we're going to find out and learn more and more about in Sefer Shmot, in the entire book of Exodus, entire Sefer Shmot, already tells us where is this letter? It's here. What's the letter called? Torah. When did we receive it? 50 days after we left Egypt. So already have a secret. Now, the second secret that you find out in this parasha is that we have a very similar time being described. A very similar time being described to today. It says, Ubnei Yisrael, in the seventh verse of the parasha, Ubnei Yisrael paru v'yishretzu v'yirbu v'yatzmu b'me'od me'od v'timalei ha'aretz otam. And the children of Israel were fruitful, teamed, increased, became strong, very, very much so. And the land became filled with them. So here we have six different adjectives. Six different words describing how greatly we grew. Grew in size as far as population. Grew in size as far as our status in the world. Grew in size as far as our bank accounts. Why? Our boy was the president. Our boy Yosef HaTzadik was the president. He put Egypt on the map. Egypt was a nice little place. But Yosef made it an empire. Yosef, the Jew, Tzadik, only one in Taitar called Tzadik by Hashem. Today, every person has a beard called a Tzadik. Hashem called him Tzadik. Best economist in history. Put, us, put them on the map. We became prosperous. We became politicians. We became Supreme Court judges. We became councils. We became bankers. We became all types of things. And there's six different words describing how great we were. The sages in the Midrash Me'am, Loez, Midrash Rabbah, and several other places say that these six words also describe something very special about that generation. Hashem wanted them to grow. He wanted to give them a blessing. So he said, you know what? You only came down here with 70. If you have natural births, it's going to take a while. Let's speed up the process. Every birth will be six babies. Every birth will be six babies. Which means the average family didn't have birth control, Baruch Hashem, back then. They didn't try not having babies, Baruch Hashem. They want to have babies. Not like today. No, we can't afford it. We'll take a dog instead. We can't afford the baby. We'll put a dog instead or a cat. Or maybe some fish, some goldfish. You see people during the Chagim, during uh, Shabbatot, they say, oh, you know, who wants to buy an Aliyah? Some people are very happy about this Aliyot. Oh yeah, I want to buy it. It's good. It's good. If it's on Shabbat, maybe you're going to get a big, big Neset, a few hundred bucks being spent. But if you go to the Chagim, psh, people are so happy during the Chagim. Sifre Torah, all different types of things. 
people open up their pockets without thinking whether they have anything in them or not. Rosh Hashanah Aliyot go for thousands and thousands of dollars. Yom Kippur, tens of thousands of dollars in some places in the world. You could hear stories of people buying an Aliyah for a million dollars. A million dollars. For what? To go up to the Bima, to go up with the Chazan, to go up to the Sefer Torah, for the, for the good of the Torah, for the honor of Torah. Oh Hashem, you have it, do it, go good luck. Now here's the problem. If I tell you you're happy, you're a happy person, you're going to go and you're going to sanctify the Torah, the Hashem Barach, you're going to buy an Aliyah, you're going to spend $10,000. You're going to spend $3,000. You're going to spend $50,000. Whatever you're going to spend, you're excited, you're so happy, you're so excited for this Aliyah. You're going to spend a ton of money without thinking twice. But then I say to you, I'm here to save Jews. Not the Torah, the Jew. The Jew that's supposed to read the Torah. The Jew that's supposed to live by the Torah. Not the Torah. Torah is good. There's already many of them. The Jew, we don't have that many. Which I'm trying to save the Jew. Oh, okay, it's $50. Oh, come back to me on Tuesday. I'll write you a check for $25. Okay, here's $700. Yeah, this is my sale for the last 15 years in my stucker box. What happened to the 3000 to the 5000 to the 10000 to the 100000 What happened? I'm trying to save Jews. No, you know, times are tough. They're not tough on Yom Kippur. They're not tough on Rosh Hashanah. Why? Because people are not looking for the sake of the Torah. They're looking for the sake of their own honor, their own kavod. They want everybody to know, yeah, yeah, I donated. 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000 to the Bet Knesset. They care about people's opinion. That's our problem, Rabbi We care so much about people's opinion that we forgot to care about even asking what's God's opinion. A woman came into a Bet Knesset of Rabbi Israel Misalant almost 200 years ago. And she said, Kvod Arav, hysterical crying, I need help. Rabbi Israel Misalant, Baal Musar, someone that was a huge Talmud Chacham, had Ruach HaKodesh, stops what he's doing, he wants to talk and speak to Bat Israel. Why are you crying? Why are you crying in a bit Knesset? Hashem Yitbach is here. How could you cry? Hashem's here. If you know Hashem is here, there's nothing to cry about already. Why could you be crying? She says, I have a son. And my son cannot go to Yeshiva. Chasu Shalom, why? Why can't he go to Yeshiva? I don't have any money. I don't have any money to send him to Yeshiva. Rabbi didn't understand what she was saying. What do you mean you don't have money to send him to Yeshiva? He said to the, to the Ka'al, he said to the people in the Beknesset, Rabotai, we need to send the boy to the yeshiva. And a few people look like, yeah, you know, it's, it's tough now, tough. Tough times. Bitcoin is not so high. It dropped from 20,000 to 15. You know, it's tough times. What do you think? What do you think? Abi Saimi Salam said, oh, okay, come back next week. Come back on Monday. I'll give you a check for $25. Come back on Wednesday. I'll send you my, uh, you know, my stocker box, the coins, whatever is in it. You can take for you. What, what, did, they, what did Rabbi Yisrael Misan said? He said, Rabotai, you see the Sefer Torah? We have one. 
Sefer Torah is not like today, but Teknes had 15 of them. We have one. Sefer Torah, sell it. Sell the Sefer Torah to save the Sefer Torah. Sell the Sefer Torah to save the boy. Because Chas Shalom is going to go and be with the Christians, be with the Arabs, be with the uh, Chinese, be with the Goyim that have all types of idol worship. Chas Shalom, this boy is not going to be a Jew. Sell the Sefer Torah. Save the Jew. But that was a time when people actually cared about God's opinion. Interestingly enough, they got the money without selling the Sefer Torah. Why? They got the point. When you get the point, you find a way. You find a way. So in Sefer Shemot, Hashem Bar tells us, I wrote you a love letter. It's called the Torah. This Torah gives you instructions to succeed in an enormous amount of ways. In life, in business, in marriage, in anything and everything that you want. I want to give you this success. And that's why I gave you many children. Six for every family. Every family, every birth, six. You have ten births, you have sixty kids in each family. You need a truck just to feed them breakfast. Just to feed them. By the time you finish breakfast, it's already midnight. This one wants eggs, this one wants pizza, this one wants this. Got 60 kids. No one complained. I'm going to give you the blessing. I'm going to give you the money. I'm going to give you everything that's good in the world. I'm going to give you. Why? Torah. But then, my time, we had so much good, we forgot to communicate with the opinion of God. We started depending on the Donald Trumps of the world. We started depending on all of these superstars of the world. We stopped caring about Hashem's opinion. So, things changed. What changed? The very same leaders we trusted so much decided, let's outsmart it. The paro that was alive then is the same paro that saw Yosef at Tzadik build Mitzrayim. Let's not be fooled and think this is someone else and he really forgot. When someone writes you a check for an infinite amount of money, you're going to remember him a few years later after he dies. When every single hallway has his picture there, you're going to remember who he is. Here he says, "Vayakam melech hadash al Mitzrayim asher lo yadayot Yosef." A new king arose over Egypt who did not know Yosef. The sages say, "What do you mean a new king? Who's this new king? It's the same king. Why is it saying new king? New opinion. Yosef died. Why do I have to honor him for? After all, I gave him the ability to make us money." After all, it was my idea. After all, he's still a Yid. He's still a Jew. He's still an Israelite. I don't have to give him anything. We're Mitzrayim. Why do I have to give him anything? He got enough. He benefited. His family got some money. Enough. But look at what they're doing. They're conquering our land now. 
their judges, their lawyers, their bankers, their this one. They trade bitcoins. They do all these different types of things. Look at this, too much. They're taking over this country. It's time to fool them. What fool them? Let's make them slaves. And it's systematically anti-Semitism started. This parasha. This parasha continues 3,300 years later. Only difference is, back then, we didn't know. Today, we should know. Today, we should know. All of these people that are celebrating all of the wonderful stories of the president in this country, and the president in that country, and the president in this country... When was the last time you said somebody say, you know what, let's celebrate Hashem. Today, he made a miracle. Wow, what kind of miracle? I got to work. When was the last time you heard such a story? I have a miracle, Abutai. What happened? I was able to go to the bathroom. Wow! When was the last time you said, I had a miracle. What? I woke up. I woke up. I died, I woke up, I went to sleep, I died. Just go to sleep, it's 16th of a death. I woke up, it's a, it's a miracle. I was able to drink, and the water went in the system, and by itself it would know what to do. When was the last time anyone celebrated that miracle? It hasn't stopped raining here in Florida for the last couple of days. When was the last time you saw somebody say, look at this. There's water, clean, fresh, beautiful water coming from the sky. How does that make any sense? It's a miracle. When did you see this last time? Say, oh wow, the rain's a miracle. Why? Because we want Hashem to split the red, the, the, the red Sea every day. Sea of reeds every day. That's a miracle. Everything else, nah, that's normal. That's nature. And then, Rabotai, what ends up happening is we think that Hashem is on a vacation. And if He's on vacation, we're on a vacation. We go sometimes to our people that are supposed to know what to do and what to say, and they start instead of telling us what's God's opinion about what we think and what we do and this, this, and the other thing, they start telling us their opinions. And little by little, the little paroz within us start fooling us and we start fooling ourselves. And the precious soul that called me today said, wait, wait a minute. How could it be that Hashem would punish anyone? He's a God that loves. I said, yes, He loves. No questions asked. Unlimited love. Okay, so unlimited love. How could it be that He punishes? Because he also has unlimited wrath. He also has unlimited wrath. Why would, how could you have both? That's where Hashem's mercy on specifically me gives me the answer and just so happens to be the next Mishnah. Happens to be. Happens to be. Happens to be. 6,000 years ago, Hashem already wrote the Mishnah for today. And the Mishnah says as follows. Basarama 
שמאבדין את העולם שנברא בעשרה מאמרות, וליתן שכר טוב לצדיקים שמקיימין את העולם שנברא בעשרה מאמרות. Translation. With ten utterances, Hashem created the world. What does this come to teach us? Those ten utterances to create the world. Indeed, it could have been done in one. It's Hashem. Well, he doesn't need ten words to do anything. In fact, he doesn't even need one word. But if there was a word needed, why don't you say, world created. Bereshit, finished. World created. Just one word. Hashem created the world. Just pick up word you can make. Hashem, that means creation. Creation. Then there was Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov. This, this, this. No, it says Hashem created the world with ten utterances, ten, in essence, statements. But it could have been done in one. What's the significance of this? This was, to, was done specifically this way in order to exact punishment from the wicked who destroy the world that was created with ten utterances, which we'll explain shortly, and to bestow goodly reward on the righteous who sustain the world that was created with those same utterances, ten utterances. So here we see that there's obviously, again, significance in every ot, significance in, you know, in every letter, in every sentence, in every thought, in every single thing. So, the first thing is, the Meiri says, this chapter, this entire fifth chapter of Avot, aside from the traditional ethical and moral teachings that we've learned in the first four chapters, this specific chapter also has historical information about Am Yisrael, about the world, and several of the foundational principles of creation itself. It begins with these numerical sets of tens. The first few Mishnayot talk about ten this, ten this, ten this, and so on and so forth. And then it goes seven, seven, seven. The significance of different numbers in the Torah. And it starts with this, which is creation itself. Why Hashem actually created with ten words, ten sentences. So, if you actually look at the Gemara, the Gemara in Maseret Rosh Hashanah, page 32a, says, every single time it says, Vayomer, God said, and God said, in Parashat Bereshit, it's considered an utterance. Vayomer Hashem, Vayio. And God said, let there be light. That's one. But if you count how many times in Bereshit, in Genesis, it says, Vayomer, how many are there? Nine. There's nine. But you said ten. What's the tenth? Mara Maseret Rosh says, tenth one is the word Bereshit. The first word in the Torah itself means it. So the Vilna Gaon, Alaba Shalom, says that the word Bereshit, in the word Bereshit itself, 
just the word Bereshit. We're not talking about the entire Sefer Bereshit. We're not talking about the entire Parashat Bereshit. We're not even talking about the entire sentence of the first sentence of the Torah that starts with Bereshit. He says just the word Bereshit. He found the root for all 613 principles of, of uh, mitzvot. All 613 mitzvot are hinted by the word Bereshit. We thought, oh, in the beginning. The Ramban says it also means Bechuchmah, with wisdom. There's a very, very good video by um, Dr. Shore. Dr. Shore is a genius mathematician and uh, Israel professor. And he has a 17-minute video about the secrets of just the word Bereshit and just the first sentence. The first sentence in the Torah. You see the mathematical calculations, the wisdom that's in it. It's in Hebrew only. I don't think they have it in English yet. Maybe the subtitles by now. But literally, the 17 minutes, if you watch it a hundred times, you're still going to learn something. It's unbelievable how many secrets are simply just in the, this word Bereshit in the first sentence. It's unbelievable. But 613 mitzvot that we have in the Torah that Hashem Yitbarach gave us, some for men, some for women, some for Kohanim, some for the times of the Bet HaMikdash, all hinted by the first word. Rabbi Ephraim, my Rav, he found in his younger age, he was also very interested in this. He studied what the Vilna Gaon did and he wanted to find more stuff. What else can I find? He got up to a thousand mitzvot. One thousand mitzvot are hinted. One thousand mitzvot are hinted at, are said, are taught. Just by the first word, Bereshit. 1,000. If there's a thousand mitzvot to learn in the first word of the Torah, how many can you learn in the entire Sefer Torah? How many things can you possibly learn? It's endless. So this very same Vilna Gaon says, what are these ten utterances? The first one, the first verse... Genesis 1.1 In the beginning of God's creating the heavens and the earth. That's the first utterance. The second one, God said, let there be light. That's in the third verse. Third one, God said, let there be a firmament. Fourth one, God said, let the waters beneath the heaven be gathered in one area and let the dry land appear. Fifth one, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. Sixth, God said, let the luminaries in the firmament of the heaven, let there be luminaries, meaning the, the moon and the sun. Seventh one, God said, let the waters teem with teeming living creatures. Eighth one, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures, not just the ones in the water, but ones on land. Ninth one, God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. 
Moshe Rabbeinu came to Hashem about this specific verse and he said, Hashem, the heretics of the world are going to say that maybe there's more than one God, Chas Shalom. Because you're saying in the beginning of the Torah, let us make man in our image. Us and our are plural. Is there more than one God in heaven? No. So what's the us? And Hashem says, even though I'm really the only one that creates, I'm really the only one that can create, still I want to give my creations a feeling of partnership, a feeling of significance. So the angels that I created before man, they were there. And I didn't want them to just think they're robots and they're good for nothing, just do and do and do. I said, let us, let us create man in our image. A man that has free choice. A man that has the ability to do right and wrong. As if I was asking their opinion. And I did ask their opinion. What do you think? A couple of angels actually came forth and said, no, don't create them. Look what they're going to do. They're going to sin against you. They're going to desecrate your name. They're going to eat pig. They're going to go with women they're not allowed to. They're not going to cover their hair when they're supposed to. They're not going to pray when they're supposed to. They're not going to learn what they're supposed to. They're not going to do business the way they're supposed to. Look how many sins they're going to make against you. Hashem says, that's the significance of man. He can overcome the enticement. He can overcome the desire to do wrong and actually do right. That's what makes him significant. That's what makes him special. If he was just doing it as a by default, always right, there'd be no purpose for any of you. The fact that he has two choices, that makes him significant. Now in this week's parasha, we said it yesterday, but it also is worthwhile to say it again today. There was a chidush in regards to free choice. And this free choice we'll go over f- briefly. Many people ask, how does free choice work? Where is it mentioned in the Torah? It's actually mentioned in several places. This week's parasha is one of them. So chidush that I had with the Yoschut, where Shemit Bach is debating with Moshe Rabbeinu. Go free my people. Go free my people. Moshe Rabbeinu says, no, no, yeah, no, it's not, I'm not good enough. I'm not a good speaker. I'm not this. Maybe my brother, he's a tzaddik. He's a this. He's arguing for a week. Hashem says, go do it. Go do it. Now Moshe says, what if they don't believe me? Now if it was you and me, you're going to add, say to Hashem, what if they don't believe me? Hashem is talking to you. You didn't even think of such a thing? Moshe Rabbeinu did. That's why he's Moshe Rabbeinu. He says, who am I for them to believe me? It's not about Hashem. It has nothing to do with Hashem. He says, who am I that they're going to think that I actually have the merit to speak to you, Hashem? We, if Hashem spoke to us, we publicize it on the internet. Hashem spoke to me. Even if he didn't, we say he spoke to us. Some guy made a video and said, yeah, Hashem, Hashem uh, said uh, thank you to me. Hashem talked to me and he said, thank you to me. He made a YouTube video on it. He's walking around the woods and he says, yeah, Hashem said thank you to me. Yeah. Same, same profile. Same feel. 
So now Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest prophet of all time, says, who am I for you to talk to me? The fact that you're talking to me is already a surprise. On top of it, they're not going to believe me. And Hashem says, if they don't believe you, show them the first sign. What if they don't believe me anyway? If they don't believe you after the first sign, show them the second sign. If they don't believe you the second time, show them the third sign. What does this mean, Rabbi? This means that Hashem agreed with Moshe Rabbeinu. He says, you're right. I gave them free choice. Which means they have the right and the ability to believe you or not. If they believe you after the first one, good. But they have free choice. Which means if they don't, show them another sign. And if they don't again, show them a third sign. Which means that Hashem knows not only that we have free choice, but we also knows that we may not pick the right choice the first or the second or the third time. And He also knows the outcome of that choice. If you don't pick the first one, give them a second one. If you don't pick the second one, a third one. The third one they're going to believe. But nonetheless, He knows that you have free choice. He knows you may not pick the right choice. He didn't say, they're not going to believe the first one to show them the second one. He didn't say, just show them all three right away. He said, maybe they'll pick one. Maybe not. So show them soon. Maybe they're going to pick the second one. If not, show them three. Meaning, in essence, it's an unknown to us. Because we have free choice. But Hashem knows. Yet, He does not interfere. Yet, He does not interfere with our free choice, even though He knows we may make the wrong choice. Even though he knows we may make the right choice and the right choice is better for us, even though he knows what the outcome of each and every single choice is, nonetheless, he does not interfere it. Where's the source? This week's parasha. Because clearly he's telling Moshe Rabbeinu, you're right, they may pick the first one, the second one, or the third one. Whichever one they pick, eventually they're going to get to the right answer nonetheless. So Hashem still did not interfere. He didn't say, you know what? Let's just cut the chase. I'll just speak to them and you just stand there and look pretty. He didn't. He said, they're free choice. That's what I created. When did I create it? It's the ninth utterance. Chapter 1, verse 26 in Sefer Bereshit. The third one, God said, Behold, I have given to you all the herbage yielding seed that is on the surface of the entire earth, and every tree that is sea-yielding fruit, it shall be yours for food. This is also again, Sefer Bereshit, the 29th verse. Now, what we also learn here is that the other creations also have a certain aspect of free choice. A certain aspect, not quite the same as us, but they do have a certain aspect of free choice. Why? Because here when Hashem says that originally He made us vegetarians. Originally we were supposed to only eat plants and seeds and so on. After we sinned in a generation of Noah, after the generation of Noah was destroyed, everyone went down a level and every single part of creation had to go through a tikkun 
had to be elevated. But even before this happened, even before this, there were other sins before Noah. What were some of the original sins? Well, we all know the sin of the snake, the serpent lying about Hashem, saying Lashon about Hashem. What was another thing that, that made that lied? Not, not lied, that sinned, in essence. The tree. The tree. Why did the tree? How did the tree make a sin? If you look at Sefer Bereshit, on the 11th verse, it says, Vayomer Elohim, aretz deshe etz pri pri. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, herbage yielding seed, fruit trees yielding fruit. Each after its kind and so on and so forth. Where, what's the problem? Originally, the etz pri, osepri, a fruit tree that makes fruit, it seems like there's an extra word here. If it's a fruit tree, that means it makes fruit. That's a fruit tree. A fruit tree that makes fruit means that the tree itself was supposed to be a fruit. You were supposed to be able to eat the tree along with the fruit. The tree didn't want to be eaten. He didn't want to be eaten. So he made himself not so edible. Made himself not so tasty. What was his punishment? Also has genom. What's his genom? Fire burns him. He's used for used to be burned regularly by fire. That's in his Farimakdoshim, just so you know. Now. So here we see that everyone has some level of choice, some level of free choice, some level of significance in creation. But nonetheless, here we have these ten ma'amarot, each and every single one of them carries a certain weight. Each and every single one has a story behind it, whether it's the moon and the sun. Originally, they were both the same size. They were both shining, just as uh, shiny. But then the moon said to Hashem, Hashem, there could only be one significant light here. In essence, pick one. Hashem says, since you spoke, I'll pick the other. Since you spoke, I'll remove the light from you, make you smaller. And you'll actually have to feed off of the sun that's humble. Why? Hashem hates Gava. Hashem hates people that jump forth. Hey, yeah, I know that one. I know, I know, I know, I know. You know what I know? You know how much I know? You know how much I know? I already forgot what you're learning. You're one of those people? You have a problem. So unfortunately, this, the moon made a mistake. It says that it should only be one king. It should only be one uh, light. Oh, one? Okay, we'll make it the sun then. Shem does not like Gava. That's why he also picked Mount Sinai. And that's why the gift of Torah was given to Moshe Rabbeinu. That's why the gift of Torah was given to Yeshua Benun. That's why the gift of Torah was given to David Melech. That's why the gift of Torah was given to Shaul Melech. That's why it was given to these giants. Would not jump around and say, I know, I know, I'm great, I'm good, I'm a tzaddik, you know how much I do, you know how much I donate, you know how much this, you know how much that. They didn't say nothing. Why? They just did. They didn't use their opinion. They understood the secret. The secret to get everything is to turn yourself into a vessel. A vessel doesn't complain. A vessel 
doesn't ask too many questions that go against the source. Oh, you said it? I agree. Why? Because you said it. Who said it? God. God said it? I agree. Does it make sense? No. But it doesn't make a difference it makes sense. It's his opinion. What is it like? The Magid Miduvna said that three different patients, three different patients, all have same disease. The first one knows a lot about medicine. He researches what the doctors are prescribing, and he says, okay, I'll take all the medicine you're prescribing. The second one, second one, sees the first one, take all the medicine, and he lives. Good for him. But maybe it's not going to work for me. I don't know what he did. Maybe this, maybe that. He knows a little bit. He knows a little bit. You know, he read a few parashot here and there. He went to yeshiva for a few years. He went to med school for a couple of years. He knows a little bit. Not so much like the first guy. But he knows a little bit. He says, I have to double check what this doctor is uh, saying. Double check. Okay, that one, I'll take it. This one, no. Antibiotics, not for me. Vaccine, not for me. Okay, the painkillers, for sure. Okay, yes. Okay, no. Okay, yes. Okay, no. What happens? He dies. The third one doesn't know anything. Third one doesn't know anything. He says, listen, I don't know anything. You're the expert. Whatever you say, I'm going with. He lives also. The Magid Miduvna says, that's the three types of Jews we have. We have the first one that knows a lot. That's the Talmud Chacham. He knows what God's opinion is. And he knows it's right. So he takes everything. He says, God said this, I know it's right. Even when I don't understand why he gave us a red cow, I know it's good. Even when I don't understand why he gave us horrible punishment, I know it's good. Even when I don't understand why this and why that, I know it's good. Why? I learn a lot of talk. I know his opinion. I know that the way Shemaim works... It's for our benefit eternally. I'm going. The second one, no, you know what? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Maybe there's a different opinion. Maybe he's wrong. Maybe he's this. Maybe he's that. You know what? I'm just going to keep Shabbat, but I'm not going to keep Tarat Mishpacha. I'm going to keep modesty. I'm going to wear long skirts, but I'm not going to cover my hair. I'm going to wear a wig, because there are certain rabbis that say it's okay, even though all the greatest rabbis in history said no. But there's a few local rabbis that say it's okay. I'm going to rely on that. I'm going to, I'm going to bet my Allah on this. I'm going to eat kosher at home, but outside, as long as it's just vegetables, it's okay. And they start creating their own religion. They start creating their own thought. And when they arrive to Olama Emet, the world of truth in Shemaim to the Beddin of Shemaim, and they get the surprise of their life. Vaivalumi Panav, they're scared of his face. What face? Hashemit Barach. Hashemit Barach says, Okay, now you see the truth? Okay, now you have to play. Yeah, but I didn't know. <laughs> I had my opinion. You didn't want to listen. Yeah, but it was tough. And? Yeah, but it was this. And? Yeah, but everybody else did it. And? Yeah, but this. I... doesn't make a difference. You had my opinion. You didn't follow it. You followed your opinion. No complaints. You can't complain now. Finished. The third one is the Amaretz. Doesn't know much. 
no much miskin. But he says, Tamim Tiyem Hashem. Rabbi says something. He reads a verse. He says as a source. He shows me the source. He learns all day. I'm going to tell the doctor how to be a doctor. I'm going to tell the lawyer how to be a lawyer. What do you mean? It's not something that you do. If you have a brain in your head, you realize it doesn't make sense to go into a medical office and start telling the doctors how to be doctors. Especially when you're not trained at all, which is the vast majority of people. If you're trained and you're an expert, prove it wrong at least. But don't just say, nah, I don't agree with it. I'm not going to do it until I know for sure. I'm not going to eat until I know for sure this is healthy. Okay, fine. By the time you figure out if it's healthy or not, you're going to die. I'm not going to take the medicine until I know for sure that it's going to work. Okay, by then you're probably going to die. I'm not going to breathe until I know for sure the air is clean. Fine, no problem. You're going to probably die in the next five or six minutes. Sometimes you just got to be tamim. You just got to be just move forward. Trust the opinion in Shemaim. There was one time a very, very special person. Very special neshama. Didn't know much. Didn't know much. But he was doing tshuva. His wife was doing tshuva. In those days, a few hundred years ago, it was easy to do tshuva. Why? You didn't have as much yetzerav today. All you need to hear, okay, God wants this, okay, I'm doing it. So in one of these uh, countries in the Middle East, guy was going to Beknesset, didn't know how to read, didn't know how to write, didn't know too much. But he knew how to say amen. He knew how to say amen, he knew. They go to Beknesset, they say, he says amen. Amen, amen, no problem, Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem, he knew also. Baruch Hashem, amen. Give the kiss to Hashem. Everything is good. I don't know too much miskin. So one day, he hears a shiur Torah. The rabbi gives a shiur Torah. And he talks about the Bet HaMikdash. He talks about how in the Bet HaMikdash they had miracles and this and that. And every week, they would make these 12 loaves of special challah. 12 loaves of bread. And the bread was special bread. They would put the bread. It would be a korban for Hashem. It's a sacrifice for Hashem. It would stay warm the whole week until the next Friday at the time they would replace it, and so on and so forth, and all these amazing things. So this Tamin, this guy that's very simple, not such so a smart guy, he goes to home excited. He says, honey, we got it. We're in. What are we in? He goes, listen, I don't know to read this Gemara. I don't know to read this Mishnah. I don't know all the stuff they say. I don't know. But there's one thing I know better than anybody else in the world. What do I know? I know how to make bread. Why? We're bakers. I heard today a shiur, mamash for us. What's the shiur? It says, Hashem likes bread. He wants to eat bread every week. Who can make bread better than us? They start dancing. They start celebrating. They love God. They just don't know much about Him. He says, finally we can do something for Hashem. On Thursday, they start baking and they start baking. No, no, this was not good. Let's do it again. This was not good. Let's do it again. This was not good. All night, they're baking and singing and dancing. And finally, we can honor Hashem. 
in the middle of the night, they go and they put the bread where? Arona Kodesh, where the Sefer Torah is. I say, hey, this is where Tzvashem is. Hashem is in there with the Torah. We'll put the bread in there. Twelve beautiful loaves of bread, fresh. They put them in there. Now the guy and his wife, Miskenim, they're so nervous all night. Maybe Hashem is going to like it. Maybe he's not going to like it. Maybe this, maybe that. How are we going to know? What are we going to do? Maybe he's not going to eat it. Maybe he's going to eat it. doesn't know what's going to happen. He arrives the next morning, earlier than everybody else, five o'clock in the morning. He arrives, he opens the Arona Kodesh. What does he see? Bread's gone. He goes home. He starts celebrating with his wife. All this. Hashem loves our bread. Hashem loves our... He ate the bread. If he didn't like it, he's going to eat 12 loaves. Eat one, one bite. It's finished. Say, no, you return. Return, give it back. Give me something else. Put some raisins in it or something. He didn't like it. He take all 12 loaves of God. And he does this week after week after week after week, month after month after month after month. One day, he arrives to bring the 12 loaves of bread. He's so excited. This is working. It's making him connected to Hashem. He's never been so happy in his life. The rabbi of the Keilah that gave the shiur happened to come to the Beknesset because he needed a book. In those days, not like today, you go on Amazon, you go on Art Scroll, you go on Feldheim, you go on somewhere, you press a button, you have a book. Like today, back then, there was one central place where all the books are, either the rich guy's house or the Beknesset. So the rabbi didn't have a certain book. He came to the Beknesset. Middle of the night, he wanted to learn. Tamit Chacham, wanted to do it. Okay, fine, no problem. He sees this guy putting a loaf of bread, one loaf, two loaves of bread next to every Sefer Torah. He goes, what are you, crazy? What are you doing? What's the matter with you? He goes, what? I'm following what you said in Yeshua six months ago. You said in Yeshua, Hashem likes bread. I'm bringing the Koban. What's the problem for the Rav? You don't like the bread? He goes, are you stupid? What's the matter with you? You think Hashem eats bread? What's the matter with you? He took it very, he didn't know how to answer this guy. All the Torah he learned, he lost himself a little bit, let's say that. He lost himself a little bit. He said, what do you mean? God doesn't eat bread. He says, God eats my bread. For six months, I'm putting 12 loaves of bread in the Arona Kodesh. I come back in the morning, it's gone. Shamash, the Shamash cleans the Beknesset. He says, Shamash, come over here. Yes, Kodav, yes, 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 Kodav. Tell me the truth. Are you the one eating the bread? Ooh, Kodav, the bread is so good. Six months I have this bread, it's so delicious. He says, you see, you fool, you're giving a bread to this guy. You're not giving it to Hashem. Misken harab alav olamo. The whole world collapsed on this guy's head. Misken. He goes home hysterical, crying to his wife. He says, "Honey, it's all gone. It's all fools. It's all nothing. We don't know what we're doing." He's depressed. She's depressed. They're crying. Miskenim. They don't know what to do with themselves. That night, this is a real story, Rabbi. 
As funny as it is, it's a real story. That night, that rabbi had a dream. In the dream, an angel came to him and he says, Since Hashem had the Beta Mikdash, since he had the Beta Mikdash, he was never as happy as he was receiving the bread of this common person. He was never as happy since the Beta Mikdash as he was re- the last six months. And you just ruined it. Tell everyone what you did because tomorrow you're going to die. The Rav comes to the Kila and he says to them the same exact stories I'm telling you now. And he says, sometimes Hashem is not overly concerned about every single little intricate detail as he is with what's in your heart. Did you really mean it? Did you really mean it when you were praying? Did you really mean it when you were learning? Did you really mean it when you were doing Kiddush? Did you really mean it when you were putting Tzitzit on? Or you're a faker? You just go there because you have some friends at the Bet Knesset. Did you really think you were modest? Or you, between you and me, all of us know you didn't think you were modest. Did you really think you were fulfilling the will of Hashem? Or you just feel like, you know what, Hashem maybe doesn't care. You try to fool the system because maybe Hashem's not watching. Like the guy, that his hat fell on Shabbat right over the line of where the Eruv is. And he ran to the other side and brought the hat back. So the rabbi said to him, wait, wait, why did you run? What did you think? That if you go fast, Hashem can't see that you just violated Shabbat? You think if you go really fast, Hashem didn't notice that you violated Shabbat? Why did you run? Sometimes Hashem wants to see what's really in your heart. And since what was in their heart was 100% pure, it made Hashem happy. But now I ruined it. And two hours later, he died. Intentional, not intentional, that's the Mishnah. The Mishnah is saying here that Hashem created the world with ten utterances. And these ten utterances have significance. They were not just said, just to say. There are a few questions that are asked here. The Midrash Shmuel says, why did Hashem even make ten utterances? Why didn't He just do one? That's the question that's already in the Mishnah. Second question is, for what purpose did the Torah inform us of this? Why did the Torah tell us that he did it in ten utterances? Is there a significance to the ten utterances? Not only why he did it in ten utterances, but why is the Torah telling us that he did it in ten? And the last one, by Rav, why did God spread the different elements of creation over a period of six days rather than creating everything in one day? Why did he spread out the creation? Why don't you just create the world? Every day is the same day. Every day is first day, first day, first day, first day, first day, first day. Every day is first day. Why do, you have, why do we have six days? Why do we have seven days? Why? For what? Right, so there's many, many things here we can learn. So the first thing, the Mishnah itself answers. Why is this done? 
the significance of the Ted utterances is in order for him to distribute reward and punishment. The reason why he did this, the secret behind the ten utterances is the whole concept, the whole uh, deal based on reward and punishment. Why reward and punishment? Because when one understands that Hashem went to the trouble, if you will, to the trouble, Rashi explains, not the trouble for him, but in essence, he did above and beyond what would be expected. He's the ultimate, he's the infinite, he's unlimited. He doesn't need to do anything in ten. He can do it in a single act, which in essence means he minimized himself. He minimized himself, he lowered himself for you. He did it in ten so you would know there was thought going into it. If I told, if you asked me a question, and I simply answered just like that. You say, where is the Gemara? I said, da, 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 da. and as if I knew the Gemara, I would tell you the page number and where it was. Oh, are you allowed to do this, this, and this? And as if I knew the law, I would tell you, da, 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 and I gave you the reason. Many people say, oh, it was easy for him. Many people ask questions. They send text messages, emails, and so on and so forth, and they ask questions. Are you allowed to do this, this, and this? And shortly later, they get a response. Sometimes right away, sometimes three days later, depending, but nonetheless, they usually get a response as fast as I possibly can. So some people take the initiative and they ask questions like as if I'm Rabbi Google. They send questions faster than I can actually even answer a single one. They ask, they ask, they ask, they ask. They just continue asking just to see even if I know sometimes. Baruch Hashem, this also helps me stay on top of things. If I don't know, I end up learning if I'm able to and interested in answering this question. But nonetheless... Sometimes when you answer a question really fast, it makes it seem to the person receiving the answer as if it was easy. And something that's easy is not appreciated. So Shemit Barach is telling us one of the main reasons of why he created, he minimized himself and created things in 10, is to show you that he put a lot of thought, a lot of effort, if you will, not that he had needs or exerts effort, but in efforts, there was a lot going into it. A lot going into it, where in the Midrash, in the Midrash, on Kohelet, Kohelet Rabbi Parashat Zayin, Vilna, Hashem says to Adam, look at how thoughtful my creation is. The fruits, the leaves, the colors, look at it. A tree grows from a seed. And then it goes into a tree. And then there's fruit on some trees. And no fruit on other trees. And the fruit has different colors. Why? So you know when it's ready for you to eat. Not just color just because of nothing. There's a reason of why the fruit changes colors. And there's different ways that different fruits grow. And there's different trees and different fruits. And each fruit serves a different part of your body and helps you with different things, different illnesses, different health helps, and so on and so forth. Each thing has an extraordinary amount of wisdom, an infinite amount of wisdom in it. And just to make sure that you don't lose it, the key to making another tree is inside every fruit. You finish the fruit, inside there will be a seed. 
You take the seed, you put it in the ground, voila, you have another tree. To make sure it never ends, to make sure it repopulates, to make sure that in reality, it's only destroyable by you or me. The tree itself will stay the same. The tree itself will continue. The same thing on the animals. When David Melech asked Hashem, Hashem, why do you have these wasps? Why did you create wasps? It seems like such an annoying little bug. Why did you create a wasp? It hurts, it's painful, it's this, it's that. And one day David Melech goes into the camp of Shaul who wanted to kill him. And he wanted to show Shaul that I don't want to kill you. So he went there when he was sleeping. And he took the sword of Shaul. He took the sword of Shaul to show Shaul, look, I took your sword. I was right there able to kill you and I didn't kill you. Isn't that enough? You should stop changing, chasing me. But Avram was big. One of his servants, the generals of, of Shaul. Huh? Avner, Avner. Avner was huge. Huge. Powerful. Something out of this world. And he moved this leg. He was sleeping. And he moved his leg and locked David exactly where he was. David couldn't move. Only way he can move is waking up Avner. He wakes up Avner, he dies. What am I going to do? Hashem sends a little wasp. Goes to Avner. Puts a nice little needle in his thigh. Avner was huge. He didn't get hurt with this. But it's like a mosquito bite for us. He moved his leg and freed David Melech. And in essence, the little wasp that was meaningless was taught as a lesson, as a Musar lesson for David Melech. Everything has its purpose. Everything has its purpose. Even this little wasp just saved your life. Everything has a purpose. The genius of creation is infinite. People are so impressed with these cameras on the phones and this phone has this camera and this phone has that camera and this phone has this camera and this one has 8X and 50X and 2X and this X and that X, all this X's. The greatest camera that exists today could maybe store a few thousand photos, a few hundred videos and so on. But there's a greater one that could store an infinite amount of photos, that could store an infinite amount of videos, that could store an infinite amount of information, that cleans itself, you never has to be cleaned, generates its own lubricant that's only unique to itself, can see at different distances on an automatic basis without you pressing any buttons, and you get it for free. It's called the eyes. Everything that it sees, it stores permanently. Sometimes in the frontal part of your brain where you remember it right away. Sometimes in the back where it's part of your subconscious, you have to think about it a little bit. Nonetheless, it's always there. It's always there. And you get it for free. You get it for free. When was the last time you said, Look, I have two cameras. I have two cameras, they store, they this, they this. When would you say that? When? When we all go out, you see anybody go outside, wow, look, there, look at the cameras. No. Hashem says to Adam Rishon, look at my creation, look how much thought was put into every single thing. Don't ruin it, he says to him. Don't ruin it. Why? 
Only you or me can ruin it. I'm only going to ruin it because of you. You're only going to ruin it because of you. Don't ruin it. So when a person understands that in essence Hashem put a lot of thought, if you will, a lot of effort, if you will, minimized himself in order to create the world, and he says you're the one in control in order to ruin it. He understands that here you have a responsibility. Now the, the Zohar Kadosh says that when a man wastes seed, it's like he brought the flood. Like Noah's flood. Noah's flood, the Mabul. Okay, wasted seed. Maybe they wasted seed also. Fine, but the whole Mabul. There was a bunch of them that did it. It's just me. Me doing it, them doing it. It's two different things. Why are you comparing the two? Why are you comparing the two? In the Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin, page 37a, it says, whoever destroys even a single Jewish soul is considered to have destroyed an entire world. A single Jewish soul is equivalent to the entire world. Why? Because Hashem, in essence, created the whole world for Adam Rishon originally. Meaning, it was worth it for Hashem to create the entire world just for Him. Needless to say, for a Jew that keeps Torah and mitzvot, someone who destroys a single soul, it's like as if he can destroy the entire world. But there's something deeper. Hashem had mercy on us, and He understood that we are not the first one. That the Megid Midubna said that knows a lot. We're also not the last one that just takes things like the guy that made the, the baker, that made the bread, just says, Hashem wants this, I'm going to do this. We're not so innocent. We're not so tamimim. We want to investigate. Doctors, we don't investigate. Lawyers, we don't investigate. The plumbers, we don't investigate. The contractors, we don't investigate. Who do we investigate? Rabbis. He said something. No, it doesn't fit my life. I have to investigate. When are you going to investigate? When I get a chance. So until then, what are you going to do? I'm going to continue my way. I'm going to continue sinning against Hashem until... I have time to prove otherwise. So Hashem helped us even with secular knowledge. And science came out and saw with these all these tel- uh, these um, microscopes that investigated seed rested in the semen of a person. And they investigated and they saw that each ejaculation that comes out of a man has somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 million seeds, each that have the potential to be a full living being, a full male, a full female, or perhaps even more. There's twins, triplets, and so on and so forth. Meaning that every single time a man wastes seed, it's not that he just did what the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin, page 37a. He destroyed a Jewish soul. No, it's not one like you thought. It's what the Zohar said. You brought the flood. The flood, there were hundreds of millions of people that were killed. 
Every single time you waste seed, you're doing nothing less than that. You're doing nothing less than that. You're also killing a few hundred million people. So, when a person understands the responsibility, he now needs to know what's the cost. In Gemara Masechet Makot, page 23b, and also in Midrash Tanchuma, Parashat Ki it says that just like we have 613 mitzvot, there are 248 limbs and 365 tendons. Some modern scientists disagree with the number, but nonetheless, this is already not Torah, and that's what we go by. For the purpose of this example, it says that these 248 limbs and 365 tendons also equal 613, just like 613 mitzvot. And every single one, every single one of these tendons, every single one of these ligaments, says to the neshama, the goof, the body, says to the neshama, go, go do this mitzvah, go wear tzitzit, it's going to give me life. Go, go do this mitzvah, make a prayer on the coffee before you drink it, it's going to give me life. Go, go do this mitzvah, put tefillin, it's going to give me life. How long? Eternally. Go do this mitzvah so the body and the soul can unite eternally. Go do this mitzvah. Every single time you do a mitzvah, you're thinking you're doing God a favor. In reality, you're doing yourself one. I had a person, I don't necessarily usually report dreams or stories of dreams unless it's extremely... Peculiar, interesting, and nonetheless obvious. A certain person came to me and told me I had a dream. What was the dream? I had a dream that my son has these chickens flying on top of him. And then later on, we were with some people that we knew, and it happened to be a couple of people that uh, we help them do tshuva. We help them do tshuva. But we haven't seen them in a long time. And we're a little bit upset that we, they haven't called and they haven't written. Maybe they're kfui tova. Maybe they're ungrateful. These people, we help them do tshuva. You know, you give somebody a CD, they change their life at the very least. You want them to send you a text message once in a while. Send a present, put a million dollars in your bank, do something. Nothing. Zero, she says. Very upsetting. Nothing. Get nothing from these people. But for some reason, the two dreams were at the same time. Does it have any significance? So I got to, I went to, my Rav who knows a lot of things. says, yes, the dreams are actually one. The dreams are a single dream. He says, ma'am, is it possible? It's possible that the son of yours was sick at some point. Is he sick? How do you know? I didn't know. I asked you. Was he sick? Yes, he was sick. Oh, okay. He's alive, right? He's alive? Yeah, Hashem's alive. Alive and well. Oh, 
Shem is trying to tell you, stop being, stop being so upset they don't call you. Stop being so upset they don't write you. Stop being so upset they don't deposit a million dollars in your bank. Stop being so upset. Why? They're the only reason he's alive. Hashem is telling you, the chicken is a kapara. Remember on Yom Kippur, everybody's kapara, kapara. Whatever you did to help them, in essence, you helped your own son. Okay, you helped them, good for you, good job. In reality, you helped yourself. You do mitzvah, you're thinking you're helping God, you're helping yourself all the time. You're helping yourself. You think you give tzedakah, oh wow, I give tzedakah, I'm helping this rabbi, I'm helping this irgun, I'm helping this uh, homeless person, I'm helping this bride, I'm helping this. You're not helping anyone other than yourself. Etz chaim idem achazikim ba v'tomchea me'ushal. Those that invest in the tree of life, they're the ones that are happy. They're the ones that are prosper. What do you mean? But they're, they're supposed to, they're poorer now. No, no, no. They're richer now. Because they invested in the Etz Chaim, they invested in the tree of life. So when Hashem tells us, listen, I put some work behind this creation. When you waste seed, you're destroying it. You're destroying worlds. But you're also destroying the benefit that I'm trying to give you. A lot of people like to talk about fortune. Fortune this, fortune that. They go to fortune tellers. They go to certain people that pretend to be fortune tellers, even if they're sometimes rabbis. They want to look at this. They want to look at that. There's a very, very good fortune teller. What is it? It's Torah. Torah says when you waste seed, you have no more fortune. How is the secret? The word for fortune is mazal. Mazal is three-letter word for fortune. But if you break up the word, you take the mem. The first letter of mazal spells out mutzi. The zayn, zera. The lamed, levatala. Wasting seed. Just like you waste seed, your mazal goes with it also. Your fortune goes with it also. Every time you think you were doing something to pleasure yourself, good for you, it went against you. Hashem says there's a big cost to all these things. I need you to know it. I need you to know that there's a consequence for all of your actions. The Chafetz Chaim one time met up with the Tzemach Tzedek, Lubavitch. One that uh, started Chabad. And Chafetz Chaim asked him, I had him want to write a chidush. wanted to write a chidush. And he said, you have a piece of paper. Piece of paper. Now even though it was more difficult to get paper back then, it was more expensive to get paper back then, nonetheless, it still wasn't worth that much. A single piece of paper. Tzemach Tzedek took a piece of paper, gave it to Chafetz Chaim. As he gave him the paper, the Chafetz Chaim takes a coin out of his pocket and he pays him. No, no need. It's okay. Fine. The very, I have a merit. I gave him, aside from the fact that it's not really so valuable, I'll buy even if it was valuable, I'd still give it to you. The Chafetz Chaim says, 
sometimes you ask people for things and they give it to you, but not because they want to give it to you. They give it to you because they feel embarrassed. You ask the guy for the ride, he's like, okay, I'll take you. You ask the guy for a loan, okay, here. You ask the guy for a favor, okay, here. You ask the guy for tzedakai, like, oh, no, again you rabbis, again you this, again you that. So aside of giving you what you wanted, they give you something else. They give you a bad feeling you want to die. They don't really want to do it. But the problem is, if you take what someone doesn't want to give you, in reality, it could be, it could be, the creed in Shemaim as gezel, as stealing. Now what happens when, this is Chafetz Chaim says, what happens when someone steals? There's an angel created in that moment that is so big and so strong that he can destroy your entire city. Do you think I'm about to risk destroying this entire city for a piece of paper? Not that Chas Shalom questioning Tzemach Tzedek, Ish Kadosh, but the same token, I'm not going to put him on to a test. Maybe he doesn't want to give it to me. I can't assume anything. I'm not going to put that much on the line to just assume anything. This is a man that knew the consequence of every single little piece of paper, every single little action, let alone someone walking in the street without clothes on, let alone someone who violates Shabbat, let alone someone who violates the name of Hashem, let alone someone who doesn't want to study Torah because he'd rather watch sports, let alone someone who constantly goes against Hashem on a regular basis and he's perfectly, perfectly comfortable with it. Yeah, no, I'm not ready for that. It's too much for me. What's too much for you? To eat kosher? Yeah, yeah, I don't like the food. I don't like the food. Also, you don't like the food, so you're going to continue eating food that's against Hashem? Obviously, you don't know the price either. You should watch last night's show. It's called Gainom. At the very least, you'll know where you're going. But sometimes, people don't want to hear it. And they make up all types of strange excuses of why. But this is not today's creation. This has always happened. The person, number one, that knows a lot, goes. Tamit Chacham. He investigated for himself already before he was asked. He knows the right way. The one that's Tamim, the one that's very simple, but just goes... Whatever they say, we do, goes, he lives. The one in the middle, us, question everything. We're the problem. We're the problem. We have a speaker coming. They're like, who is he? Who is this speaker? What makes him think that he's allowed to tell us what he's telling us? What makes him think he can tell us what to do? Forget it. They don't ask, is what he's saying right? They don't ask, is what he's saying right? God's opinion. They're more worried about who he is, especially where, where did he come from? What family? What lineage? How much money does he have? How much money doesn't have? Is he married? Is he single? Is he this? Is he that? I remember there was a guy in business, one of my original first big clients, long, long time ago, almost 20 years ago. 
And a guy started an account with me based on a very simple thing. We're talking, we're talking, we're talking, and I was recommending some type of bank investment for him to invest in some bank. He didn't want it. Later on, I gave him another recommendation. It was a wireless communication company called Nextel. And oh, yeah, uh, 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 but then one of the calls I told him, listen, this billionaire is investing in it also. His name and this and that. You know, oh, he, fine, I'm investing. Everything I've told you the last 10 conversations is irrelevant. He's investing, I'm investing. Seems silly, doesn't it? Later on, later on, I saw that despite me making him money, a lot of it, he wasn't sending me more. Like usually you make somebody money, they give you more business. That's the point. At some point in my career, people will call me. It's like, listen, I have an extra 400000 you have a place for me? Usually it's me chasing them. Give me, give me this, give me this, give me this, please. You know, you're asking for big money, but nonetheless, you're asking for business. But at one point, Baruch Hashem had certain blessings. Things were working out. People were asking me if I have a place to invest more of their money. But this one particular guy didn't do it. I was making him a fortune. The recommendation were working. First recommendation quadrupled. Second recommendation went up 50%. And it, it was working. Everything was good. And I asked him, Bill, his name was Bill. You have millions of dollars in other places. And you're telling me they're not doing even half as much as what I'm doing. Why not? Why don't you send it to me? You know, usually you're always, you don't ask these questions usually because you're figuring if I do good, I get good. That's usually the way it works, at, least, at the very least in the business world. So Bill, we're on a roll. We're doing good. They suck. I'm good. Help me out here. What's going on? Why? Why? Why am I not getting any more business? What's the answer, Robert? What did he say? What did you think he said? Money he has. Time he has. Track record we have. What's the problem? says, well, you're not married. That's what he says. Well, you're not married. He wasn't a Jew. You're not married. At the time I wasn't married, I didn't understand what he meant. I, it, it was like, seriously, you could have picked every answer on planet Earth. This, for me, was not one of them. It's like somebody put an atomic bomb inside my brain. Like, what? Did he, I couldn't even respond. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, what difference does it make to you if I'm married or not? What difference does it make? I don't understand. I didn't understand. What, do you, what difference does it make to you if I'm married, not married, this, that, the other thing? But then once you get married, you realize. You realize a lot changes. Why? When you're not married, the only thing you care about is yourself. You can't help be selfish. You can't help it. You have to be selfish. There's no one else to care about. Just you. Even if you pretend to care about the homeless kids in Africa, you care about yourself. You care about yourself. When you're married, when you're married, 
and you're healthy mentally, and she's healthy or he's healthy mentally, you're supposed to start caring about somebody else at the very least as much as you care about yourself. It changes you as a person. Old man, 70 years old, knew this. 20-something-year-old, me, nothing. Didn't know nothing. Didn't make any sense. Didn't, no, actually, we continued making a lot of money. We continued making... How come I didn't? I'm not in the business. I gave you recommendations, but you don't listen. I told you not to buy into Bitcoin. You keep buying. other coins and they're ready as well. So there you go. You didn't listen to me. You made money. Good job. So sometimes instead of caring about the message, we care about the person. Now, Rav Aaron Kotler, Allah Shalom, was Gdolado. But Rav Aaron Kotler wasn't exactly like today's rabbis that make a few hundred thousand and they write a few articles and a few blogs and they think they're a big deal. He was a big deal, but he looked like nothing. He looked very simple. So one time there was a big meeting. A lot of big rabbis, a lot of big people, a lot of rich people. They were trying to have a big meeting. And what? We wanted to hear Gdolado. We wanted to hear the biggest rabbi of the generation speak in America. Who is it? Rabbi Aaron Kotler. It's a little simple. Aaron Kotler goes up there and he starts talking. Now, some of the guests were rich, but not exactly in knowledge. Rich in bank accounts, but not exactly in knowledge of what a real rabbi is, what a gdolador is. So one of these rich fools says to one of the other rabbis, hey, how much does this guy make? How much does this guy make? He's talking about very old. How much does this guy make? Rabbi Kotler? He goes, yeah, how much does he make? He goes, oh, maybe 500 bucks a week. So what is he doing up there? There's at least four or five rabbi friends that I have over there, each making 300,000. Get him out of here. Who is this guy who makes 500 bucks a week? There's at least three, four rabbis that make 300,000. Get him out of here, he says. This imbecile has no concept of what Torah is. He thinks the background and the bank account and all the wrong aspects of what makes somebody say the truth. But in reality, the only thing you have to determine is, is what he's saying God's opinion? It's the only thing you have to worry about. Not who his father is, not who his mother is, not if he has money in the bank, not if he used to have money in the bank, not if he's going to have money in the bank, not if he's this, not if he's... Is what he's saying God's opinion. It's the only thing that matters. And the reason why, Rabotai, is because God's opinion has a lot of weight. So much weight that unlike the imbeciles that get the Nobel Prize, whether it be Obama or it be Arafat, both got Nobel Prize. People that created more problems for the world than I think anyone in the recent past, they get Nobel Prizes. If the Nobel Prize people actually knew what a real Talmud Chacham is, 
you'd have a hundred thousand new Nobel Prize winners. But unfortunately, we don't. Unfortunately, we don't care about the right things. And the reason why is because we care about our own opinions. We care about people's opinions. We don't care about God's opinion. So God is telling you, this opinion of mine, this opinion of mine is the one that finished last night's Mishnah. This opinion of mine decided that I'm going to give you life whether you like it or not. This opinion of mine decided that I'm going to take the life, whether you like it or not. This opinion of mine has decided that you're going to have to follow and honor me, regardless of whether you like it or not. And Igmarim HaSachichagigah says that someone does not look and find a way to honor Hashem on a day-to-day basis. It was better off that he was not born. Why? You have no purpose. But not only you have no purpose, you're not going to get punished for it. So Hashem Barach that gave you so many wonderful things for free, your eyes, your ears, your nose, your kids, your wives, your husbands, and everything else you know of and don't know of, put a lot of thought into it, and He says that you are the one that chooses to destroy it or not. I give you free choice, choose wisely. If you choose life, you will benefit eternally. You choose death, don't come complaining. The world was created with ten ma'amarim, with ten ma'amarim, with ten single steps to understand that when you go up to Shemaim, Hashem is going to show you, look how much work I've put into giving you good. Look how much effort I've put into giving you good. You wanted, you could have easily gotten food, well like the snake, everything tastes the same. I made food taste delicious. I made different tastes. I didn't have to give you different tastes. Everything could have been gray. I made colors. For what? For you. Everyone could have had just be born and no children. You have the benefit of having children. As a matter of fact, you could have been obligated to have children but not been able to enjoy it. Hashem didn't have to make sex enjoyable. But not only do you get the benefit of having the child, you can enjoy the process too. And every single thing that Hashem gives you, He gives you a way to enjoy it. And look what you did. You broke it. You ruined it. You put it on fire. I told you, all you have to do is a few things. All you have to do is a few things. Protect the limbs and the ligaments that I gave you. Each one of them feeds off of a mitzvah. I told you, Protect your ligaments and your tendons. I told you, do it. Cover them. At the very least, be modest. Cover your body. Cover your head. Cover your lips. Cover your ears, what you hear. What comes out of your mouth. Even the smells you choose to, to smell. Just protect them. Protect what I gave you. Not asking for so much. So now you go up to Shammai, hey Hashem, you're going to punish me now? Yes, I'm going to punish you. Look what you did. Why is it a surprise? Why is it such a, why is it surprising people in the Western world that there's such a thing as punishment? Even if you drive too fast on the highway, there's a punishment for it. Even if you put your car in the wrong place, there's a punishment for it. 
Even if you take something that doesn't belong to you, even if it's a pen, there's a punishment. In certain places in Asia, I remember somewhere around 15 or 20 years ago, I remember somebody, I think it was in Taiwan, it was one of these places, they killed, gave a death sentence to a few young people that put graffiti on the walls. Graffiti! They just put graffiti, gave him a death sentence. You violated our walls. You lost your right to live. Obviously it's not right. Obviously it's exaggerated. Obviously they're insane. But nonetheless, we understand that everything has a consequence. Why don't we think there's a consequence with the Creator? When He actually gave us stuff for free. Why is this a surprise? So Hashem is saying to you, the extra effort, if you will, is to remind you. To remind you that I did it all for you. It's not for me. He's already perfect. He doesn't need the world. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need your mitzvot. He doesn't need the apples. He doesn't need the bread. He doesn't eat the 12 loaves of bread. He doesn't eat the korbanot. He doesn't eat. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't rest. Lo yishen ve lo yanum. We say in Tehilim every single day in prayer. He doesn't need anything. It's all for you. So when you ruin it, why are you so surprised he's upset? Yet one single thing to do. Honor him. Honor God. You can't tell me that you're honoring him while desecrating his name at the same time. And that's why I told this very pure neshama that I spoke to today. He says, yeah, I used to be religious and then I saw this and I saw this and I saw this and I chose not to be religious. But I promise you, I love God more than anyone. This is complete nonsense. You cannot love someone while desecrating their name on a regular basis. A husband cannot say, I love you, honey, you're my wife, while he has a girlfriend on the side. A wife cannot say, husband, I love you, while she can't stand him. While she likes hanging out with her friends more than she likes to hang out with him. While every time he asks her for tea, she wants to put poison in it. That's not love, Rabotai, I'm sorry. A person does not love his job if the only thing he cares about is how much money he makes. You like money. You don't like your job. All of these gurus that told you, pick something you are passionate about. It's complete nonsense. Go make money and then your real life begins after that. Mitzvot, Torah, Hashem and so on. You don't need to love it so much. Trust me. You, make, you succeed in something, you'll like it somewhat to survive then you start real life. Your job is not supposed to be real life. It's supposed to be part of life. Part of life. Go, want to make money, go make money, do what you got to do, work your hours, normal hours. Real life begins after. Real life begins during. Real life is not the job. Job is just the thing you do. It's like going to the bathroom. You need to do it. Do it. That's not real life. Real life is a shem. That's the only thing you can take with you. Your job comes, goes, fired, hired, restart, finish. What It comes and goes. It's nothing. Only thing you can take with you is your connection to Hashem. If that connection is based on lies, that's all you have. 
You're going to show up to Shemayim and say, yeah, but I made 20 million a year. Good for you. That's an extra punishment. We'll take all those bills and put them in Gainom with you to put the extra fire. Because I gave you extra reward. So maybe you'll wake up and say, look how much Hashem is giving me more than everyone else. Look how much more He's giving me than everyone else. But no. You want to keep it all for yourself. You want to enjoy this world so much to such an extent that anytime you do mitzvah, it's like you're doing God a favor. Like He needs it. So Hashem says, all this extra effort, it was to explain to you that it's for you. So when you come up to Shemaim, and I tell you, look how you ruined everything I gave you. You're going to be very excited to sign off, Hashem, you're right, punish me. And that's what the Gemara says. That's what the Gemara says. The Gemara says that each soul, is the second it leaves the body, the second it leaves the body, and knows the full truth. It knows what's waiting for it in Shemaim. There's no doubt, there's no lies, there's no stories, there's no case. It knows exactly what's happening. At the moment the soul leaves the body, there's no more questions, is God real? There's no more questions, did we really get the Torah in Mount Sinai, or was that just a story? Or like someone wrote in the comments, you know, you're saying that the Bet HaMikdash is going to come from Shemaim, ready, let's not believe in such mystical things. We live in a real world, we need to build it ourselves. Like we need to help God, because he was able to create the world, but a building, nah, that's too much for him. Let's not be little kids and believe in such mystical things. Only fools don't believe in mystical things because you are mystical. The fact that you can create another human being is mystical. It makes no sense whatsoever. There's no common sense whatsoever to literally having a child. No common sense. Why? Something that's a seed, that you need a microscope to see it, is going to go through a journey that no human in the history of mankind can ever survive, with more problems than it can ever survive, with no nothing, and has to arrive at a certain de- destination, at a perfect time, at a perfect place, and go through a horrible, crazy, volatile process that you never know what's really happening until it's finished for nine months. In a perfect way. While comfortable. While sleeping. While getting nourishment. And the reality is, if one little thing, if one little thing goes wrong, if something so simple as one of the openings, one of the openings that all of us have, opens a little too early. A little too early. The little baby that's inside the womb, cute little tiny perfect little baby that's learning Torah from the Malach, he decides, you know, okay, I eventually I'm going to leave this body and all the food that I'm going to consume, I'm going to have to exit the body. Let's start early. What's the big deal? And the little tiny, perfect, precious, tiny, beautiful baby poops. Something simple. What's the big deal? At that very second of the time, both the baby 
and the mother are in life danger. That's second. They're in life danger where if it's not taken care of immediately, they both die. But what he means, in, 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 in three days she's going to give birth. And then he's going to have to open that opening. Yes, it opened three days early. It opened two hours early. It opened one second early. One second early, it changes everything. If the baby decides to continue breathing outside of the body as soon as he or she are born, the way they were breathing inside the body, no baby. No baby. Why? You can't breathe the same way inside as you did outside or vice versa. Every single time you go to the bathroom, you say, Hashem, thank you very much for making the openings and the closings. And if they were open too, too early on this, all these blessings, you think, well, it's not a big deal? You think it's just somebody came up with it? Just to give you something to do? You can't say you love God and go against Him on a regular basis, especially when what He's telling you to do is for you. It's for you, not for Him. So these ten ma'amarim, these ten things, these ten sayings are a reminder that when Hashem pays the righteous, there's a reason why. When Hashem pays the punishment of the wicked, there's a reason why. It, in essence, continues last night's Mishnah. You were born against your will, you will die against your will, but nonetheless, once you have it, you want it. Because you realize that it's something precious. And something precious means that by default, it has a value. It has a very big value. All Hashem is telling you is protect that value. Honor that value. Honor that one, that hand that gave you that precious, valuable thing. You can't continue to go against Hashem and think it's okay. Yes, we're not all going to be Moshe Rabbeinu tomorrow. Yes, we're all not going to be Sarai Menu tomorrow. But we have to try. The significance of a person is not determined whether they go to the grave of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Significance of a person is determined of whether they try to be Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. So instead of worrying so much about going to graves, instead of worrying so much about wearing certain clothes, instead of worrying about so much about what other people are doing, instead of worrying so much about other people's opinion and what they think and what they're going to think once they start covering my hair, with a scarf or a hat instead of a wig or with nothing. What are they going to think once I start wearing clothes that actually cover my body instead of walking around like 8 billion people? What are they going to start thinking once I wear tzitzit and I look different than everyone else? What are they going to start thinking if I wear a kippah and I look like a Jew? What are they going to start thinking when I can't hang out after school or after work and have a couple of drinks and watch the game and instead I go to a shiur Torah? Instead of thinking so much about what are they going to think when I use all my extra money to actually save Jews instead of bringing more stuff that we don't need to the world? Instead of caring so much about everyone knowing that I have a lot of money, I actually use the money 
in order to have something significant in Shamayim? Instead of worrying so much about everyone's thoughts and everyone's opinions, we should take a moment every single day and ask ourselves, what's God's opinion? What does He think? What's He have to say about me? Well, let's see. In the Torah, He said, this is what I'm supposed to do. Am I? Am I doing it? Because He wrote in His Mishnah, that he created the world in a certain precise way specifically, so I'm reminded that he did it for me. Because if I don't do my part, he has at very least ten reasons to punish me. At the very least, ten reasons to punish me. And if I do right, he has at the very least ten reasons to reward me. Same place. 